How is everybody? <laughs> I got a cat call, so that's good. That was cool. That was good. That's a good way to start. Um, hey, um, that video that they showed at the beginning of service with, with the mayor and, and several pastors from the community, uh, we've been trying to get that out, not to, not to glorify any specific churches or... or we're just trying to send out a message that, that we're not a divisive community. We're not a community that's, that's uh, against each other or at each other's throats. This is, we live in a really, really good town. Um, not only do we have a good mayor, we have a lot of great churches. We have a, a, a lot of diversity in our town. It's a really good town. And um, as all of you guys know, because we've been talking about it and the news has been talking about it and all that stuff, a lot of uh, hateful people are going to be on the square next week. And, and um, because the mayor has asked me to do this, and I think it's a good idea, we're just, we're asking people to stay away from the square. Um, pray this week. If you want to, you know, skip a meal and fast and pray uh, for everyone's protection, including the local businesses. We have many business owners on the square that come to this church, uh, several different great businesses and restaurants where, where the owners come here. And we want to make sure that their buildings are okay, that they're safe, that everyone's safe. Um, we even want people who, who come here and want to be divisive and hateful, we don't want them to get hurt either. And so we want everyone to be safe. And so um, just please be praying about that. Share that video. A lot of people have already shared it. And I think uh, Channel 4 actually ran it last night, which was kind of neat. And um, just getting the message out that this is a good community. And, uh, and there's a lot of great people here. So anyways, uh, enough about that. Hopefully, I just I can't wait for this next weekend. It's just going to be done and, and move past all this. But um, we've been in the book of Acts. If you've never been to this church before, this is what we do. We, we take a book of the Bible. We'll spend uh, months and months and months breaking it down, going word for word, chapter by chapter through it. We're in the book of Acts, which is a, a, a very unique book of the Bible, but it's very, very important. It's, it's not anything that's super hard to understand. It's pretty straightforward. What the book of Acts is essentially about is this. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about the life and the teachings of Jesus. Okay, he's pouring into a group of men and women, and he's training them to eventually go out and share the good news about the kingdom of God to the entire world. Now, the book of Acts that comes right after those four books is essentially that group of people doing what he told them to do. That's all it is. And so in Acts so far, we're in chapter 7 today, and we're going to cut it in half because it's a long chapter. To the point we're at right now, we've seen the birth of the church We've seen God fill his followers with his spirit. We've seen people be miraculously healed. And then we've also started to see oppression. As the church is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, we start seeing that there is laws being passed that they can't teach in the name of Jesus. We're starting to see people get arrested. Most recently, we've seen someone getting beaten for Jesus's name, like uh, 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 being uh, whipped in front of the public for Jesus's name. And so these things have escalated and escalated. And now where we are right now, in chapter six, the church has gotten so big, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of nine or 10,000 people that the church has gotten pretty large. And they're starting to have to divide the responsibilities. So the apostles, the ones who hung out with Jesus for, for three years, they said, we're gonna preach and we're gonna teach because they were the most equipped to do that. And then they appointed some other people to handle the finances, to handle the benevolence, giving money away, giving food away. So now we're starting to see different ministries forming in the church. And one of the men that was chosen to be in charge of benevolence and helping the poor was a guy named Stephen. And as we ended chapter six, Stephen has been arrested. He's been brought in front of the Sanhedrin and he's been accused of blaspheming God, talking against God which of course he didn't, they were lies, right? But at the end of chapter six, it said that they looked at Stephen 
and he looked like an angel. So we asked ourselves, I don't know if anyone's ever looked at me and just been like, Corey, you look like an angel. I don't think that's ever happened. But we did ask ourselves the question, when people look at our lives, what do they think about us? What do they say about us? What is their perception of how we live and how we do things, okay? Now, this week, we're gonna talk about this. And guys, I, I, hope, I hope it's an encouraging lesson for you. I hope that, that, that you leave here feeling stronger and more encouraged and more empowered. But we're gonna ask ourselves this. Have we forgotten our purpose? Um, we have been placed on planet Earth, you and I, all of us in this room, we've, we've been placed right here, right now for a reason. And I think sometimes we forget that God Almighty, the Creator, has put us here right now for a reason and a purpose, okay? So we'll go back and we'll kind of hit on that a little bit. Okay, so chapter seven is a history lesson, all right? So we're gonna do a brief overview of Old Testament history because Stephen's gonna preach to us a little bit today, all right? So I'm gonna pray. Uh, you should have a notes handout in front of you. has everything I'm gonna say in it. Uh, if you have a smartphone, the version app, uh, Y-O-U version app, if you click on the bottom right button in events, our church will pop up, everything's there, it's even in Spanish. And, um, and so we should have everything squared away and ready to go, okay, all right? Hey, good to see you guys. So uh, I love you guys so much. And um, I don't know, I just feel very honored to be here this morning. And uh, so anyways, that's it. I'm not gonna get emotional or anything with you guys. So let, let me pray, we'll move on. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord, for the city we live in. Thank you, God, for our leadership. Thank you, God, for our law enforcement. Thank you, God, for uh, the politicians in our city that, that are good. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, the great churches in our community. Thank you for the diversity in our community. Um, thank you for the people who participated in that video, God. We pray that you bless their, their churches, God, and we pray, Lord, that you bless the nonprofits in our community. God, we pray, Lord, that you just protect our city this coming weekend, Lord. The businesses on the square, um, we pray that you protect e even the groups that are meeting on the square, God. We pray, Lord, uh, that, that, that we don't let a divisive seed be planted in our town, God. And we pray, Lord, that we can stand against that through prayer and through love, God, and through unity. And we just thank you, Lord. And we know, God, that you're gonna keep your hand on us, Lord. We love you and we lift you up, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter seven, we're gonna go to about verse 38 and I'll break it up into chunks. And remember, we're starting off where Stephen is on trial for blasphemy. Here we go. Is this true, the high priest asks. Brothers and fathers, Stephen said, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and away from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land that you now live in. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country and they would enslave and oppress them 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and they will worship me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac did the same with Jacob and Jacob did the same with his 12 sons, the patriarchs, okay? So like I said, chapter seven is gonna be 
a history lesson. And what Stephen is going to do, he's got a plan in this, right? He's, here's the thing. All the Jewish people would have known everything Stephen was saying, especially the most educated men in the entire community that he was talking to. They would have known all this. But what Stephen is going to do is he's going to build from the dawn of Judaism, right, the, the Jewish faith, and he's going to build up and build up and build up to Jesus and how Jesus was a fulfillment of everything the Old Testament talked about, okay? So as Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, that's the council to defend himself, he's going to start with Abraham, and he's going to talk about when Abraham was called from God to be a monotheist. Now, if you've never heard that term before, that means you just believe in one God. So before God got a hold of Abraham, he was called Abram, he was a polytheist, which means he served multiple gods, and then God called him to worship the one true God. He was a monotheist, okay? So the Jewish people in Stephen's time could not separate, and guys, we still have a problem with this, I think, in the United States. We, they couldn't separate the fact that God's blessing wasn't confined to just one specific piece of land. And so what Stephen was going to do was he was going to challenge their beliefs that God was just confined to Israel and just confined to their temples and to where they were, okay? He was going to challenge that. And so one of the major themes of chapter 7 is that wherever God is, that place is holy. So God cares more about people than he cares about geographical locations. It's not that he doesn't care about places, but he cares more about people than he cares about places, okay? That's one of the major themes. And so Stephen quotes Genesis 12. Now, if you get bored tonight and you wanna go back and read the story of Abraham, it really starts in Genesis chapter 12, showing that Abraham, again, I call him Abe because I'm gonna be buddies with all these guys in heaven, right? And I just abbreviate names and so there he is. So showed that Abe was blessed by God uh, before he ever went to the Holy Land. So if they were saying that God only worked in the nation of Israel or in the, in the region of Israel at that time, well, well Stephen was saying, well, well, Abraham was blessed before he ever got there. And, and when he did get there, he didn't own it. It wasn't his land. He had no inheritance in it. Not even a foot, it said, of land was, was his. Now, eventually his relatives were going to inherit and own that land, but at that time they didn't. So not only does God bless wherever he wants to bless, God always delivers on his promises, even if we don't directly see it. So if God tells us he's going to do something, even if I don't see it with my own eyes, he's going to do it because he said he would. And we just need to trust that he's going to do that. Now, let me show you a map. I like maps. So if you look on this side of the yellow arrow, that's where in modern day Iraq, that's where Abraham would have started, right? That's where we kind of pick up the story of Abraham. He left this area and moved west towards what is modern day Israel. In fact, he would have been a little bit south of where I have this arrow pointing, but that's where he would have migrated to. That's where God told him to go, okay? So God promised Abraham a holy land filled with many descendants. Now, what makes that an interesting promise is Abraham was an older guy, right? He didn't have any kids. They didn't think they could have any kids. So here's what God told him. He said, look, you're going to have a lot of descendants. And Abraham's like, well, I don't have any kids now, right? Not only are you going to, you're going to get this land, you're going to have a lot of descendants. And before you get that land, all of your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years. Imagine being Abraham downloading all this from God. That's a lot to take in. So we're going to start having kids in our older years. You're going to give us a big plot of land that we're going to inherit. 
but before we get that, you're gonna enslave all of my descendants for 400 years. And God's like, yep, that's it. Okay, so my inner English teacher's gonna come out a little bit during this lesson. I'm gonna get a little bit teachery on you right now. I don't even know if that's a word. I just said I got a degree in English and I used a word that I don't think exists. But anyways, <laughs> so let's break down what we've learned so far. What we've learned so far about God is this. God is not confined to any kind of geography. God goes wherever God wants to go. We learn that God delivers on his promises, even if we don't personally experience those. We also learn that sometimes before God fulfills his promises, we may have to go through hard times. The people, the descendants of Abraham went through 400 years of slavery before they inherited their promise. So sometimes there is adversity before we receive the promises of God. These are some basic principles we've learned so far, okay? So let's move forward in history a little bit to a guy named Joseph. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph. Those were the 12 sons of Jacob. Became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Then a famine and great suffering came over Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors the first time. The second time, Joseph was revealed to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph then invited his father, Jacob, and all of his relatives, 75 in all. You thought you had a big family, right? And Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died in Egypt and were carried back to Shechem and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. Now again, where's he going with this, right? So as we move from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Jacob's 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, if you ever heard that terminology, we also read about Egypt. So we read about this progression of God's people and now we hear of adversity, Egypt, okay, who enslaved them. So what we start to learn here is this, Though the followers of God are provided for, they are blessed, they are taken care of, that does not always mean that the followers of God are gonna have an easy road to walk. God will provide for us, he will protect us, but that doesn't mean that everything is easy. And there are horrors of history, even into our own century, that have happened to God's people and they contrast what God is doing. Again, even in the last century, in, in our time, right? We had the Holocaust where millions of God's people were slaughtered unfairly. And so even in our current days, we see these horrible things happen, but God's will always prevails. Even from the Holocaust, we see that now Israel was given back to the Jewish people in the 1940s and they have their own nation state. So God's promise is still intact even today. Very fascinating. So we also see this contrast of bad things happening to these good people, right? We see this in Joseph. Though Joseph was abandoned and left for dead by his family, God had a plan for Joseph. Now, it's funny, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but if you go back and read about Joseph, there are times when you could see why his brothers didn't like him so much. I know that sounds awful, but when you go up to your older brothers and you're like, hey, I had this dream that you guys were bowing down to me. Isn't that crazy? You can see why his brothers are like, hmm, right? So anyways, his brothers beat him. They left him for dead. They sold him into slavery. But through this adversity... 
God rescued Joseph. He, he was with him. He gave him wisdom. And he eventually gave him influence with the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh, who made him the head over the household and one of the most important people in the world at that time. So here's what we learned from this. God is sovereign, which means nothing happens outside of God's knowledge and control, okay? So when we understand that God is sovereign, God is sovereign not just over the good guys, God is sovereign over the bad guys as well. Even the people who are against him, God is in control. So let's go back to geography, because that's one of the points of this story today. Stephen goes back to the argument that God will only bless people in one specific area. And they believed it was in their area in Israel. And Stephen said, well, wait a second. Joseph was blessed, and not only was he not in, in Israel, he was in enemy territory. He was in Egypt. Not only that, all of, his, all of his family came to Egypt and lived with him until they all passed away, and God provided for them in enemy territory. So we learn this. God may lead us into areas that are hostile. God may lead us into areas that are uncomfortable. And even in those times, God will also provide for us in the middle of our adversity, in the middle of our adversaries. Now, does that mean that we should just walk into dangerous territory for the heck of it? No, but if God leads us there, he will make sure that we are going to be okay. So why is Stephen bringing all this up, right? Why is he building up to Jesus? The reason why he's building up to Jesus is because Jesus changed the entire paradigm, right? He didn't come to contradict the Old Testament or say that the Old Testament was irrelevant, but he came to change the paradigm, the way in which we connect with God. Now, I never want to say that God's spirit is confined because that's not the truth. But in the Old Testament, the presence of God was in a centralized location. It was in the temple in a certain room where only certain people could encounter that. But when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus died for our sins and when Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit, that made the presence of God global. It could be for anyone, anywhere. And it made the presence of God personal. It wasn't just for a certain group of people now, it was for all people. And this completely broke the box and the mold that the Jews had held God in for centuries and centuries and centuries. So Stephen was essentially looking at the religious leaders saying, you have made God too small. You have confined him too much. He is now personal. He is global. He is for everyone that will call on his name. So what do we learn about Joseph? We learn that God is in control. We learn that God is sovereign and that nothing happens outside of God's knowledge and power. We also learn that sometimes God may take us to places that we're not comfortable going. But if he is the one taking us into those places, we need not be anxious or worry about that. Because listen, this is important. Some people need to hear this. God is not in the business of taking us someplace just to let us fail. God takes us places for his purposes and for his plans and for us to succeed. Does that mean everything we do, we do is going to be a success? No, but it means that everything that God leads us to will serve his purposes and they will be successful for him. Okay? All right? beautiful picture of the Red Sea, right? Let's move on. So as the time was drawing near to fulfill the promises that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them leave their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born, 
and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months, and when he was left outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. As he was approaching the age of 40, he decided to visit his brothers, the Israelites, and when he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his brothers would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they didn't understand. The next day he showed up while two Jewish people were fighting and he tried to reconcile them peacefully saying, men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who is mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses away saying, who appointed you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this disclosure, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he fathered two sons, okay? So after Joseph died, as we continue on through history, after Joseph died, the Jews had flourished in Egypt. This is another way of saying they had many babies, right? There was lots of Jews in Egypt. And the following Pharaoh did not honor the Jews the way that the previous one did and actually started oppression and slavery that lasted 400 years. That's a long time. And though it had been difficult for generations and generations and generations, God still had a plan and it was going to come in the form of an unlikely hero named Moses, okay? So he was going to come and liberate his people. Now, Moses lived to be 120 years old. And what Stephen does is he's going to break up Moses' life into three different increments of 40. So during the time of the oppression of the Jews, Moses was saved from death during a time when all the Jewish people were to put their children outside so they would die, right, to kind of stop the population growth of the Jews. So what Moses' mother did was put him in a basket, placed him in the Nile River. He floated down the Nile River, and where did he end up? He ended up in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, right? Of course, God's provision, God's plan. And so he was raised by the same people that were oppressing his people. But look at how the story goes. Look at how God works. Because Moses was raised by Pharaoh's family, he got the best education that you could possibly get in the world at that time. It made him powerful in speech. It made him a fantastic writer. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. It made him powerful in his actions. And though Moses was humble about these things, we see this later when God confronts him at the burning bush and says, hey, go lead my people. And Moses is like, I'm not a good leader. I can't do this, right? He didn't have confidence in his abilities, but God had the enemy educate this man so he could lead his people out and write the first five books of the Bible. Look at how God works. Look at how he's in control. Fascinating story. We also learn, though, that Moses is not perfect. Not many of us can say this. We've all failed at some time or another. But Moses' first attempt at leading resulted in someone getting killed, right? At least I hope you guys can't say that. But all of us in this room are going to fail at some point or another. But because Moses did not, this is so important, listen to this. Because Moses didn't respond well to oppression and hate, his own people rejected him. 
So how we respond to people oppressing and hating us and doing things wrong to us will greatly affect our ability to lead other people. And so he didn't respond well, and he had to split. He was exiled. He left for 40 years. He left Egypt, okay? So what does this first part of Moses' life teach us? One, we learn that God has a plan, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, and sometimes God's plans are weird, right? They're odd. Sometimes they're way out of the box, but God has a plan, and sometimes it takes us time, because we're slow sometimes. It takes us time to realize God's plan. We also learn that leaders make mistakes. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor and I'm like priming you for when I make a mistake. That's, that's, you'll, you'll see me make tons of mistakes. But here's the thing about leadership. All of us will mess up. And all of you in this room will lead in some capacity. All of you. If you're a mother, you're gonna lead your kids. If you're a father, you're gonna lead your household. If you're a manager, of course, you're gonna lead people. All of us in some way or another will lead in some capacity. And all of you in some way or another will fail at some time. All of us. And we need to know that if we fail, there are repercussions to our failures. And that shouldn't scare you from leading, but it should prompt you to be quick to ask for forgiveness, not just from God, but from others, right? And it should make us be quick to correct our mistakes. You're gonna mess up, ask for forgiveness, and correct those mistakes because there are repercussions for the things we do, okay? Last part. So after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came and said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses began to tremble and he did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have observed the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to rescue them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, who appointed you ruler and judge? This one God sent as ruler and redeemer by means of an angel who appeared to him in a bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet, he's talking about Jesus right there, like me from among your brothers. He is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. So Moses, this is going to be an odd thing to say, but Moses was a kind of Christ. He was a front runner. He was a preface. He was a precursor. He was was a type of Christ on earth. Now, why do I say that? We say that because he was a savior of his people that was ultimately rejected by his people. So it was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And also, like Jesus, Moses didn't do ministry until the last part of his life, just like Jesus did. So the empowerment that he had received at the burning bush, he had to wait for 40 years before God intervened and stepped into his life and said, you're going to lead. So he had to wait for 40 years. 
And so instead of taking justice into his own hands this time, Moses, he was gonna depend on God. God, you're in control. You lead me this time. But again, we're focused on location. Look where they were. They were not in Israel. They weren't even in Egypt. And so again, we focus on location. The holy ground where Moses stood had nothing to do with location. It had everything to do with the presence of God. So we need to be careful. Christians, sometimes we can get very superstitious. And, and I don't think we notice sometimes how superstitious we can become as Christians. You know, like whenever we see a church and we're like, man, that's a holy building. The only thing that makes an, an, an atmosphere or a place holy is not the brick and mortar and the concrete and all the you know, decorations on the wall. The only thing that makes this building that we are in holy right now is a bunch of people who are filled with God's spirit are in it. Amen. That's the only thing that makes it holy. This is just brick and mortar and that's it. And God's not concerned with just brick and mortar. He's concerned with us. We are the temple, okay? So we need to be careful not to get superstitious about tangible objects. Wherever God's presence is, that place is a holy place, okay? So Stephen reminds us of some great miracles that Moses took part in. Moses had a pretty sweet resume. You know, like, hey, what have you done? Well, I parted the Red Sea. I prayed for God to send plagues on Egypt and locusts and the Nile turned to blood and all this kind of crazy stuff. As I was taking millions of people to, to liberation, we had food fall from heaven. I struck a rock and water came out of it. Moses had quite the resume, okay? Now, all of this was possible, this is so important, because he was submitted to God and Moses was humble. And it's only in humility, listen to me, please, it is only in humility that we can emulate the Savior. Amen. It is only in humility that we can look like Jesus and we can help other people. Only in humility. So let's go back to the present, Stephen's present, not our present, Stephen's present. As he's giving this history lesson, Stephen, as it says, full of grace and power in the last chapter, was not being arrogant. He wasn't elevating himself, well, those guys paved the road for me, right? You know, like to, to lead to me. He wasn't being arrogant about it. But what he was doing with this history lesson is he was affirming that every step of the way, from Abraham to Joseph to, Joseph, to Moses, all throughout this bloodline and all throughout this history, it was leading to Jesus. And not only leading to Jesus, Stephen was saying, it's my time too. I was put on earth at this time right now to communicate this lesson to you. And Stephen is gonna go down in history in part, part two of chapter seven, is the first person to ever die for Jesus's name. So here's what we see, guys, and I hope I don't get like too philosophical on you today. I hope I can communicate this well. This entire book leads us to where you're sitting right now. That's heavy, right? But we start off in the beginning of the Bible with the garden, the creation story. And most of you know that, whether you're a Christian here or not, you know a little bit about the Genesis story. Genesis chapter one and two and three, right? We know about this. We know that God created all of this. We know that the universe was created and the pinnacle of his creation was humanity, us, right? We see that almost right from the get-go, there is a disconnect that we have with God. We see all of these different things happen in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. We see that, that, that there is a, even a time when God gets so fed up with humanity, he says, I wish I wouldn't have created them. And he wipes out most of creation except for Noah and his family. 
Time goes on and God kind of resets, if you will, with Abraham. He resets with Abraham. He's going to start over and there's this promise given to him. This goes on through his sons and his grandsons and the patriarchs and the fathers of our faith. It moves on to a group of prophets in the Old Testament who not only tell about what God is doing presently, but they start talking about the future and how God is going to send a savior who's going to come and make everything right again. Then we get into the New Testament and we see Jesus Christ, God on earth, right? And so the Messiah comes, the savior comes, and he trains up a group of people. He trains up 12 men. Of course, we know one of them falls away and betrays him, but the remaining 11 adopt a 12th and the birth of the church starts. And we start to see the Christian movement birthed. And guess what? That leads us to right now. And the only thing, when you read this Bible, we are in the gap between the completion of this and what happens in the book of Revelation, the present right now. The only thing left to happen according to this story is Jesus Christ's second coming, where we are taken to our eternity. So look where we land. And whether you think God is coming back 10,000 years from now or, or you know, next Wednesday, we are in the final stages of the story of the Bible. So what that does, guys, is that means that everything that has happened has led you and I to be sitting in this room right now, and not just for no reason, but for a purpose. And as I was praying and studying and and trying to get my head in the right frame of mind to teach this lesson. If you've never read the book of Esther, it's one of the best examples of this. The book of Esther is about a woman who is essentially hired to fulfill the sexual desires of a king. She's basically hired to be a prostitute, a commodity, a, a piece of meat for this man. She steps in and because God was with her and because she understood that her people were being oppressed, she stood up, she didn't remain quiet, she stepped up and led and she ended up becoming queen. And in chapter four of Esther, it says this, that if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the people from another place, but your people will perish, they will be destroyed. And so the author of Esther recites this about this question to her and says, who knows, who knows? Perhaps you've come to this place. Perhaps you've come to this royal possession, uh, position. Perhaps we have ended up right here for such a time as this. Perhaps God has orchestrated everything in your life for you to end up exactly where you're sitting right now. What that means is this. I think we forget sometimes, me included. Guys, I'm gonna be so transparent with you today. The last two months, I, I went into Phil's office the other day, it's right next to mine, and I said to him, I don't know if I wanna do this anymore. I'm just so tired of constantly pushing the boulder uphill. I'm so tired of just dealing with, with, with petty criticism and, and just people being so divisive and constantly begging people to do the right thing. I'm just tired, but I forgot. I forgot that God has put, and I'm not trying to boast me up because it's you too, that God has put Corey Trimble on this earth in this city at this time for a reason. And if I'm not careful, I'll forget that reason. But wait, 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 it's not about me. He's put you here too. He put your children in your care because before he even built the foundations of the universe, he knew that no one was more well-equipped to lead your family than you. That no one was better equipped to be in that office than you. 
or in this location or with this, this spouse or, or whatever your lot in life is, you are here for such a time as right now, right now. And you and I, if you're a Christian in this room, and I don't mean to ostracize people who are not, but if you're a Christian in this room, you and I are called to be Jesus on earth right now. That means that if anyone is gonna bring peace, we have the Prince of Peace in us, that we are called to be the peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed, blessed are the ones that are peacemakers. That we are called to be the encouragers. Man, we live in a culture that is so discouraging. Everyone loves discouraging things. Everyone loves talking down to people. And even when people try to do good things, people say, well, it's not good enough for me. And people are so discouraging. And we as people who have God's spirit in us are called for a time just like right now to encourage people. As crazy as the world is, we're called to be the counselors. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is called? The counselor that we have this in us and we are called to give wisdom and knowledge and good advice and godly encouragement and counsel to people. We're called to be the educators. We live amongst so much ignorance and I don't mean that to be mean. You know why these people hate black people that are gonna meet in our square? Because they're ignorant. And I don't mean that cold blooded, but they're ignorant. They don't know any better and they need to be educated to be better that people call out people and say hateful things out of a place of ignorance. And we are called not only to educate people, but to educate people over the word of God. There is so much truth and beauty and wisdom in this book. And we are called to educate people. We are called to be the champions of social justice. That if anyone's going to address misogyny or hypocrisy or poverty, or if anyone's going to address racial injustice or, or hatred in the world, it is us. And of course we do it with love and of course we do it with wisdom and tact, but we are called to go out and address the problems of society. That if we see people that are hurting, if we see people that are lost and lonely and desolate and broken, that we are supposed to be the ones to intervene. Corey, the world is crazy. Yes, look how much God trusted you that he placed you on planet earth in such a time as this. That we're to be the champions of social justice, the lovers of the unlovable, the ones that fill the gaps. Listen, all of this hatred and violence and injustice, it angers God. And if you go back to the book of Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah was shown the throne room of God. And God said, Isaiah, I look for someone to stand in the gap between my anger and my people. And, and God said to Isaiah, I couldn't find anybody. You know what Isaiah said? Send me, send me, I'll do it. We need some people right now to stand up and say, I know God hates this injustice, but I'm gonna somehow put these two together in a loving manner. I want to be the one to bridge that gap between God and humanity. I wanna be the one to connect people back to their creator, that we need to be the ones to fill in that gaps. Guys, we need to be praying. If we truly believe that we fight not against flesh and blood, I've had a lot of people criticize me, Corey, why aren't we gonna be on the square on the 28th? Because we don't cast our pearls among swine and we don't fight a battle with flesh and blood. We fight it against principalities. We pray for them. So listen, the best thing you can do for all the stuff that's gonna happen on the 28th is be on your face praying for your city. Praying that the love of God is shown through all of this. 
that we come out of this as better people, that we come out more unified. We need to be praying. We need to be fasting. We need to be the messengers of hope. Listen, I want to encourage you. Some of you, some of you in this room have forgotten. Listen, when God looks down on us, he just doesn't see a sea of people. He sees you as an individual. And God has placed you exactly where you are right now in this room, at the job you're at, with the spouse that you have, with the kids that you have, in the school that you're at, in the classroom, wherever you may be. God in his knowledge, his foreknowledge, has predestined that you be right there at that time. And we have the responsibility to say, okay, God, I believe that you put me here. Show me what to do. You have placed me here for such a time as this. Why? Show me why. I've had people ask me, Corey, are you worried about your girls growing up in this culture? No, 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 no. I'm going to train them and I'm going to teach them and I'm going to love them and be with them and be present with them so they will be full of God's spirit. God put my two little beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls on planet earth right now not to run from the world. They were placed here for such a time as this to engage it and to be the one that bridges the gap. That's why my little girls are growing up in this crazy culture. That's why you are here. That's why your children are here. That's why we're in this room right now because God has orchestrated it for such a time is right now. Do not forget that God has a purpose for every single one of you in this room. And it is a good purpose. And even if your purpose, and this is gonna sound really weird, even if your purpose is just leading your family, let me tell you what, the breakdown of the nuclear family is the greatest tool that the devil is using to divide us coming from a guy that doesn't have a dad in his life. The breakdown of the family. So if you just lead your family well, you're doing one of the most important things that you can possibly do. You are called for such a time as this. But if we stay silent, as Esther said, the outcome's not gonna be good. I wanna encourage you, pray. Don't, don't be disparagingly about where you are right now. God has you there for a reason. You may not see it yet, but God has you there for a reason. And he's got his eyes on you and he loves you and he wants to use you for his good. Would you bow your heads with me? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there will be elders of our church on the right and left. If you need prayer for anything, please let them pray for you. The Bible even says in Matthew, let the elders of the church pray for you so you can be healed, okay? So you have any prayer requests, please let the men and women up here at the front pray for you. There's communion all the way around you. If you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take communion. Remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ given to us for our sins. And if you are in here and you are not a believer, I pray that you have felt welcomed. I pray that you have felt invited and comfortable and I pray that you come back if you have any questions for us, please let us know. Please let us know. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for placing us exactly where we are right this minute. It is because you have designed it to be so. Lord Jesus, let our ears be open. Let our eyes be open. Let us be willing recipients of whatever word you have for us. God, protect us. Keep us safe. Lord, just be with us, God, in, in, in everything that we do. God, we pray that you protect our city next weekend. We pray, God, that your love shines through this. 
We pray, God, that through this, wonderful things are going to happen, that we'll be more unified than ever, God. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Bless my brothers and sisters and keep them safe, God. It's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Hope you guys have a great weekend.